everyone. My name is Tyler Crew, and you're listening to the first episode of Hop to the Mic podcast. I'm here at Plan B Brewery in Poughkeepsie, New York, and on today's episode, I will be interviewing Evan Watson, owner and co-founder of Plan B Brewery. I hope you enjoy. Thanks, for <laughs> First and foremost, Evan, thank you for uh, inviting me back here to the brewery uh, and taking the time out of your day to sit down and uh, answer some questions. I Absolutely. Have. Uh, the first time I was here, it was on a class field trip um, for the art and science brewing class, which is a course uh, bachelor students can take at the CIA. Uh, feels good to be back. It's starting to feel like spring. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Oh. Things are starting to pop on the farm. Yeah. So what is the what is the story behind Plan B? Well, it's a, it feels like a long story at this point. We've been doing it now for uh, close to 10 years. We're coming up on that because we started the planning in 2012 and here we are in 2022 somehow we got here and uh yeah it was uh to i mean i could speak about it in (laughs) at length but to be succinct it's uh it was the idea behind it was to create uh in the beer world uh, you know tyler in the food world you know farm to table connection to the source of of your food has has been popular but in beer, uh, American craft beer was kind of started and predicated on replicating uh, European styles of beer and using European ingredients. And so <clears throat> for the most part, European. And uh, f- for me, I, I wanted to, to figure out what a beer from a particular place would taste like. And in 2013, when we first started brewing beer, there was only one malt house uh, in Binghamton, New York. Uh, or outside, uh, and a maltster named Marty Matrazo who was malting in a fish tank, a uh, 50-gallon fish tank. And that's where the only malt in New York State came from. So we started with that, that malt, you know, one bag, the first bag of malt, I believe, purchased post-prohibition. And that was our first batch of beer on a tiny system and hops that we had grown. Um, and then... And wild cultivated yeast, which has kind of become our our stamp on in the brewing world. It, using um, at first, it was a few different wild uh, cultivated yeast from fruit around the farm, but and then it quickly shifted to a culture that I'd cultivated from raw honey from our bees. So there you go, Plan B. And <laughs> how uh, how difficult is it to cultivate wild yeast? I mean, it's everything is is decaying. It's a really morbid way to look at a, a life, but you know, life is a perpetual state of decay and fermentation, and microbial forces are working for us and against us at all times. Uh, and early fermentation was, you know, an apple crushed was cider, a grape crushed was wine. You know, you you didn't pitch yeast necessarily you had the yeast present that was on the fruits or whatever and and with honey uh, original mead making what you know, like when you think of mead i don't know have, have you had much mead uh, Tyler? No, not recently but have you ever had yes, mead had but you think of mead as like sweet mm-hmm. and syrupy and strong but i i believe the original meads were probably very low in alcohol and um, maybe carbonated maybe spritzy in bottles and i it's a dilution of honey so it's to answer your question i'm i'm kind of jumping around no, it's but it's totally okay 
uh, honey is antimicrobial. It's like, uh, you know, you know, uh, things that preserve food, you got salt, you got acid, um, and, and uh, what else? Fermentation and then sugar, right? Preserves and honey and it, and it's, uh, dense state of sugar is, is like very static. It will, it will not ferment itself. Uh, it, you know, there, there is fermented honey, but in general, you know, you, we found honeys that are, you know, from tombs, Egyptian tombs and such. So it's a very, uh, static thing, but once you dilute it, there's so much sugar in honey, which in fermentation, you want sugar. And then actually from the pollen, from all the plants that the bees forage and the bees forage over a two mile radius, you have yeast and bacteria from the pollen and there's been studies that have there's uh, yeast inside of a bee's stomach and honey is bee spit essentially it's bee thrill up <laughs> bee vomit and uh which is not a very <laughs> sounds appetizing <laughs> <laughs> way to look at it but uh but so uh, in dilution of that honey you have a sugar source and you have a yeast source. So when you have sugar and yeast at a certain uh, gravity, meaning sugar per uh, volume of, of liquid, then you're going to have fermentation. And that happens naturally. And so when I cultivate from raw honey, I'm just diluting that honey. And I'm introducing maltose or malt sugar of some kind. Just so uh, kind of preparing the solution uh, and whatever yeast may be in there to uh, get, you know, acclimated to malt um, and um, malt sugars for brewing purposes. But essentially what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a Viking. I'm just like an, <laughs> a farmer uh, Viking and I'm, I'm just throwing raw honey into a, a Erlenmeyer flask, which isn't very Viking, but on a stir plate, but it's essentially the same thing. And just throwing raw honey and comb and propolis from the entire frame of, of our beehives. I'm just throwing it all into, um, an Erlenmeyer flask with this, with uh, water and uh, a little malt sugar. And over the course of about a week, It'll ferment. Um, from that, I'll then decant. You can probably see uh, Erlenmeyer in oh, there, yeah. right? Yeah. It's kind of the what size is that? It's uh, uh, five liters, no, five thousand milliliters. <laughs> but I, I, that's kind of the um, the mother, more or less. In uh, if you're familiar with that in sourdough and starters, obviously you are. But um, yeah, so I, I, I decant whatever has fermented, meaning I put it in the fridge and it and it and it falls out of suspension and then I pour off the liquid and then I, I'll step it up and I'll step it up and I'll step it up. It's generally about three times before a brew. And so it goes from just being these microbial parts of honey to uh, a yeast that can ferment. Uh, I, I brew about uh, 350 gallon batches of beer. So, and, and I generally do a double brew. So you're talking about over uh, 600 gallons of beer from just a piece of honeycomb. How many barrels would that be? It's a uh, it's a ten barrel brew house. So the larger tanks in here are um, the all oak fermentation, but those are twenty barrel tanks. What is your philosophy here at Plan B? Well, we've we've always, you know, it's become more fashionable lately to in the beer world to to be a farm brewery to to re uh, connect the source of ingredients 
to the process. But I, I feel like from the very beginning, our philosophy has been like, what can we use from a local uh, pool to make something that is very distinctly Poughkeepsie? And, and through that, you know, through the cultivation of yeast and wild fermentation, I think that's, that's really the stamp that we we've put on on beer and um yeah i mean we've always said making beers from a community for a community um that people can come to this farm and see the fields see the see the hops and see the bees and see the the grain field i was just plotting out and um that the experience of a beer isn't necessarily a, a glass it's it's the glass and the everything that surrounds it do you think utilizing local ingredients is difficult? Yeah. I mean, it's it, our system of brewing, especially craft beer, has not been set up for that. You know, um, my wife was just at the, and my partner in, in the business and all things, was just at the New York Craft Brewers Conference. And the truth is, we I've spoken at those conferences, and when we go there, it's like, it's irrelevant to us because it's mainly grain distributors or hops you know coming from New Zealand or whatever they like the it's like a networking thing and for us it our ingredients come you know my malt comes from Dennis my maltster it's at Hudson Valley Malt. that's right you've probably been up there you've been regaled by that man <laughs> he's an interesting fella uh, yeah and the grain uh, um, is grown in right by the malt house in, in Red Hook New York for the most part and then you know we i grow grain i i grow hops i it's it's very difficult i mean the the way that craft beer has been established like i mentioned was it it was through this principle of somebody that went to like you know dublin and had a guinness and was like oh man that was good it's way better than these crappy macro lagers in america or they went to you know they went to belgium and had had a an abbey ale or maybe a goose or a wild kind of thing and they're like holy crap this is beer why can't we do this and so american craft beer started out of that by home brewers like ken grossman at sierra nevada or, or um you know um jim cook or or at anchor steam those were the origins that they were kind of like home brewers that were trying to replicate these styles of European beers. And so from that becoming the business of craft beer, everything was set up to have, you know, your malt comes from, generally it's either Canada or, or you know, if you want to brew um, cool beers, a lot of it's uh, from England or Germany. Um, and your hops come from now, the, most of the hops are in the Southern Hemisphere. They couldn't be farther that was a part of agriculture that was good in the beginning of, of craft beer in America was hops were West Coast. You know, that's where Sierra Nevada and uh, Russian River and those beers started, and they were uh, brewery started and were known for hoppy beers, American IPAs. And that was connected to the agriculture of the Yakima Valley and all hop growing. But now the hop growing is, is mainly Australia and New Zealand. So that's as far as... So, and then you get your yeast, you know, from England or or Belgium and 
uh, I'm just <laughs> rambling on. I feel like, the, right. but the uh, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> My question was, uh, do you think utilizing local ingredients is difficult? Oh yes. And, um, yeah. So so that's uh, I, I guess what I was saying is that's that's the infrastructure that's been set up is to make that easy for brewers. It's not easy to to start you know hit your wagon to a new malt store maltster or gr- it's certainly not easy to be growing your own ingredients. And I think it's something, not only is it not easy, it's something that, that, uh, generally brewers don't even think about, uh, which is odd. You know, it's like, you know, you're, if you're at the culinary Institute, you, you learn that good food comes from a, a good source, right? You, you, that's an important thing and that you have to know that source, you know? Uh, and that's what, what makes produce and, and meat or whatever special. And that that lacks in craft beer, and it so it, it it's it's inherently difficult to not only to to do that, but that also to, to kind of convey the difference between what I do and what somebody else does. That's been a very difficult thing. And uh, I noticed we're in this very beautiful uh, barn. What's yeah. the what's the story behind this barn? Like, how old is it? Um, it's like. Um, this farm paid, there's a house when we got here that was crazy. There's a tree growing from the basement through the roof. I think I probably told your class that, uh, that paid taxes in the 1700s. So this is old farming, Poughkeepsie farming, fed this area, um, tucked back in here. So the, the farm is from 1700s, um, this barn, I think, was the prize barn of all these farms, and they built it in the mid 1800s because there's like these this giant beam. You can see saw marks, so there's electric <laughs> electric saws. Uh, so it probably we we've dated it probably 1860s or so. How much beer do you produce here a year? Oh, uh, not a lot, <laughs> and it depends on what kind of crazy things are going on in the year, but. Uh, yeah, we do under 500 barrels, probably closer to 300 these days. Not a lot. Um, it's just me. It's just my wife. Uh, I have a 10-barrel system, but that's kind of because I make these barn beers. I make kind of a similar base beer. Um, and then, you know, whatever's in the garden or whatever our local fruit growers or uh, vegetable growers have, we add seasonally to the to the base beer. <laughs> Um, so it's, it keeps the brewing easy for me relative because we have more, a lot more responsibilities on the farm. So yeah, around 300 barrels. So I hear you have a musical background. Do you think, uh, music has influenced your creativity with brewing? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think, well, I, I started, you know, we started playing B that's also an allusion to, to my, my career as a musician. And I came to New York, um, as a musician and, and live that life for, you know, up until we shifted to a plan B. Um, I, I mean, yes, I, I, it's been a while since I've thought of that question, but it's, it is like in music for me, um, defining, I mean, music in America is, it's one of our greatest exports. It's one of the greatest creations. American music is, is amazing. And it's, it's the most beautiful example of, of the potential of a country of, of 
of immigrants, of different people and different cultures. It's the best example of that. You know, you have Muscle Shoals, you know, I go back to the old stuff, you know, and you have Stax Records and you have Motown. You have these individual places that have a very specific sound and they come from a certain um, blending of, of people and it, and it makes something very distinct and regional. So I, when I think about music, I want, I want to create something that's coming from me, but coming from this wide breadth of, of influences. It's very American. And so in the same way with beer, I want what I make to be representative of, of, a, of a place and influences as well. I think that's probably the most um, that, that for me, music and beer in terms of creativity combine. I mean, there's obviously, you know, like uh, it takes a lot of this, what we do is creative. So, you know, it takes a certain amount of creativity. What initially got you interested in brewing? Mm, I'm a drunk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my wife, Emily, got me a homebrew kit when we were in college. I met her in college. Oh. Yeah, she got me a homebrew kit. I, I, you know, I, I liked... Even when I was in college, I, I didn't. I liked beer, but I liked good beer. Even then, um, I liked uh, yeasty beers. Then I liked um, Belgian beers and uh, Unibrew, which is in in Canada. But um, their like kind of Abbey Belgian beers were super exciting to me. Hefeweizen was really exciting to me. I'm like, what is this like fruity? Uh, fun, expressive yeast quality. Uh, so I think that got me into brewing too, is like understanding, you know, it's, it's hard to get into brewing if you're just drinking, you know, Natty Light or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was certainly helpful. And I like Guinness. I liked, it was, you know. What was it uh, like to first start off brewing professionally? Well, I, I start I, I started working at a brewery, when I was still a touring musician and I'd come home and to Westchester in that Westchester County at that time, uh, I'd come home from tours or doing whatever. And I, and I had a place at Captain Lawrence Brewing Company, very kind to let me work there. And I learned so much about real professional brewing through that. And actually, uh, not you know it's not really thought of as much as when I was there and before that but Captain Lawrence was kind of um on the cutting edge of wild beer and sour beer at the time and I loved the idea of you know there are the big giant stainless tanks making pale ale and brown ale and stuff like that but I like the idea that there are these wine barrels and that we would stuff fruit and rose hips and and different things into those barrels and in the, each one of those barrels, the beer that came out had was so wild. I mean, wild is, it's a bad descriptor because it's inherently what it is, but it, it was, uh, you know, they were so nuanced. Each barrel was something different and, and, uh, reminded me far more of, of, of creativity than kind of the macro just let's, we got to make this pale ale taste like the last batch, you know? And that, that was super exciting for me. Um, yeah. So I, I started working at Captain Lawrence. I worked for Guinness before that, 
um, teaching is very apropos of this the season tomorrow I guess because we're the day before St. Patrick's Day but uh, I, I uh, worked for Guinness showing people how to pour the perfect pint and I would go to like bars and certify the bar um, <laughs> there's just people that were just awful at it yeah <laughs> they still are <laughs> you know I was I'd never even heard of Poughkeepsie I, I, I came up to Mahoney's when I was I was living in the city New York City and uh, it was the first time I came to Poughkeepsie I but they're pretty good over at Mahoney's. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for people that would want to start off brewing professionally? Yeah. Um, I mean, the story that most of my peers have is that they, you know, they show up persistently at a brewery and they start washing kegs. They start at, at the baseline. I mean, right now, it's a different world though. It's a, it's a much different landscape than it used to be. It, you know, there's whatever, 10,000 breweries out there. I, I think it's good and bad to have people without experience starting their own breweries. I think that happens a lot. And that used to not happen. You used to have to kind of go through the ranks and, and now it's way more like, Hey, uh, uh, you know, I've got investment, but guys that are like in finance or brewers that are home brewing and finance, like I got some money. I want to build a brewery or start this. I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do that. But if you're not <laughs> extremely privileged and there's a lot of kind of, uh, privilege in this industry, uh, but if you're not, I I'd say, you know, try, try to get in on the ground floor, which, uh, you know, but I, I don't know, go to the culinary Institute. Right? <laughs> That's appealing. You know, I guess have a good resume. Just, it's just like any job really. Um, unless you want to forge your own thing, which I don't, I don't think it's bad necessarily. I, I think if there's a lot of self-education and there are good ways to, to learn how to do things. And some of my favorite brewers are guys that just said, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And I'm um, including myself. I, you know, I had worked at Captain Lawrence and I worked around beer for a while, but what I was doing started, I started with a one barrel system. I started so small cause that's what the ingredients were. And it was kind of too small to fail, you know, and, or, or it was going to fail and it wasn't a huge deal, you know? And I, I think that's, that's good too. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the right path is, but just like any, any, like any job. You can, you can go through the ranks or you can just, you can forge your own path. Is having a sustainable brewery different than you thought it would be? I didn't think that we would be as big. I mean, <laughs> we don't make a lot of beer, but I, I never thought that the ingredient base, like talking about Marty Matrazo's fish tank to now, like having large malt houses and, and a lot of farmers growing grain in New York for beer. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think that the hops, the quality of hops would get to where it is. I, I, I was, you know, pretty, though I had hitched my wagon to the idea of doing all local, I didn't expect that it within nine years that we'd be where we are as a state in terms of quality ingredients. Like ingredients weren't quality when I started. And that wasn't necessarily the, the goal was to just take whatever I had and make it work. And whatever that tastes like is what this is. And the wild fermentation, oak aging, those things helped in that. 
fruit was always great in Hudson Valley. But yeah, to see malt and hops get where it is uh, currently, I did not expect that at all. And yeah, that was, that's surprising about working in, and you know, like being able to, to actually have some choices in terms of, of ingredients is pretty surprising to me. Yeah. Well, what started the idea of wanting to use local ingredients first instead of buying stuff in? Well, yeah, that was, for me, it was, I had been inspired by Captain Lawrence and those wild beers. And then I'd, I'd had, I started to drink some of the kind of lambic, those wild beers of the Zena Valley and Brussels area of Belgium. Um, and I was really blown away. So I, I think the idea that a beer yeast driven local ingredients could be so distinct, so different than all the other realm of what we call beer to me was that was the impetus of, of wanting to source everything from a singular location. Also, like I've said, like trying to, to say, Hey, this is beer. This is barn beer. This is beer from Poughkeepsie. That's the goal is this to say, this can only be made here through my cool ship, through the cultivation of, of the, the yeast from my bees and, you know, and, and ingredients from my community, and if not from the farm, directly. Have there been any challenges you faced brewing in a barn? <laughs> like just weather and fact? Yeah, all of them. I've faced all <laughs> challenges. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, weather impacts it uh, for sure. I've start. I've stopped brewing in the in the summer because uh, I rely on a cool ship to cool my my wort, my hot pre-beer, um, and what a cool ship's just a, it's a pan, basically a giant, uh, pan that pushes the surface area of the hot liquid. So it cools down quickly. That's basically what it is. But it also invites, uh, microbial forces from inside the barn, from outside the barn, um, into the, into the beer. So in the summer, those, those forces are so rampant. They're so intense uh, that they, they can spoil beer. I mean, it's all relative when you're making wild and funky sour beer, but to me, the flavors that come from that season and it won't physically cool. Like if it's 80 degrees at night that or it's never going to get, you know, much below 90 degrees. So, uh, yeah, there, the seasonality, there's also just, you know, the way I brew is wild. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's kind of embracing, the the nature of the building so there are there are beers that go through a sometimes go through a pediococcal re-fermentation <laughs> like that anybody cares what that is but uh it, it makes it real snotty it makes it like uh, dense like um hot and sour soup <laughs> it goes through a physical protein thing and that's just the nature of this barn it, it, it's all the it's called in Belgium they call it the beer sick and they say all good beer has to get sick to to be good um, and it does create a complex acidity which I really enjoy but yeah there are things like that you know uh, when you're trying to embrace the wild you know you, you kind of have to be you're kind of a herder you're like a, a sheep herder rather than than you know most breweries everything's tight everything's they what they're doing they expect you know exactly 
what they're, you know, what they're putting in to get out. Whereas, you know, brewing this kind of farmhouse style brewing, you have to embrace, oh, you know, a, a wider um, breadth of possibility with things happening and figure out how to channel that to, to the direction you want and, or just dump the beer, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> how difficult was it first starting off like using uh, wild fermentation and uh, microbials? It was, it wasn't, it's what I, I wanted to do. It's, you know, and like I'm saying, if, if you embrace that, it's hard to, you know, um, serve both two masters or whatever the old saying is like, it's hard to do both of those things in one brewery. I think to really embrace the wild and then have a lot of clean beer as well. Um, so for me, it was just like, this is what I'm doing. And I, uh, I, you know, I'm embracing in my practices and everything is just wild beer. And that's, that's all we're doing <laughs> local and wild weather whether it was viable or uh, certainly not lucrative, you know, but that was, it's the principle, you know, stubborn principle person. My wife is as well. So. <laughs> well, Evan, you're doing really great work oh, here. Thanks, you Tom. and your wife, Emily are, are doing awesome. Thanks, uh, I really appreciate you sitting down and uh, taking the time to talk to me. Um, yeah. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man. <laughs> Good luck with all this and, and your future. My friend. Oh, thank you. I would like to give a special thanks to Emily and Evan over at Plan B Farm Brewery. If you're ever in Poughkeepsie, be sure to go check them out. Thank you for tuning into my first ever podcast episode on Hop to the Mic. My name is Tyler Crute. Be sure to tell somebody that you love them. As always, thanks for listening.